When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on this midterm edition of Millennial, let's talk about Florida. Fun fact, Laura is in Florida right now. Boo. She just watched Florida get even redder last night, and she was like, I'm heading to Florida. I will say, as we crossed the state line today, I blew a raspberry at the sign that was like Governor Ron DeSantis. (laughs) I was just like... I mean, I feel like we set the bar so low so we wouldn't get disappointed. Yes. <laughs> I think Laura did a good job of making sure her expectations stayed low because That's historically right. it doesn't <laughs> turn out this way. We can always count on Laura to bum us out. I checked in on this one a little early and it looks like it will be passing. So you'll be able to go trip. Sounds good. I'm going <laughs> to have to book a hotel out there too. <laughs> Laura's going to be quite busy in 2023 sampling all the drugs around the state. It's going to be a big year for me, y'all. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk and pretty good election results. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. We might all still be recovering from the last election because that election still being discussed breathlessly. But there has been good news to celebrate with this election. So hopefully this is a palate cleanser. And maybe now we can finally start putting 2020 behind us. And instead of the red wave that we were promised, we got this red trickle. I'll take it. I'll take that deal. Yeah. The TLDR here is that Republicans way underperformed and Democrats overperformed. So this turned into a pretty good night for Joe Biden. Not so great for Donald Trump, but we'll get to him in a few minutes. Um, We wanted to just give a quick results overview of the House and the Senate and where they stand now. So as of this recording, Republicans are going to need to win 11 seats to take control of the House. You might be seeing slightly different numbers depending on which outlet you're following. These numbers tend to vary a little bit depending on what races have been called. Um, But currently they have 206 seats to Democrats, 183. They need 218 for control. Um, The original thinking was that Republicans were only going to need to pick up five seats. And while they have picked up 12 so far, Dems have picked up four And pollsters and media were also pushing this narrative that we were just going to get slaughtered in the House. But the reality is shaking out differently. Um, I think that Republicans are most likely going to take the House, albeit with a narrow lead. Um, But having such a slim margin of control is probably going to make it harder for them to get anything done, which is also a good thing for the progressive minded among us. Um, And as it stands, there are currently 44 uncalled house races remaining. Um, Just looking at these house races, Dems are leading in about 30 of them albeit narrow leads. So these these could change up at any time. That's not to say that 
Dems are going to win most of these, but they're very close races for the most part. And when it comes to the Senate, Republicans have made zero Senate gains, <laughs> which is great. Um, and Dems have made one uh, with Whee! John Fetterman, who we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. <laughs> um, but as we know, all eyes are going to be now on Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Um, we know that 50 senators plus VP Harris gives us the same shitty narrow majority we've been dealing with for the last few years. So it would be nice to get above that. Yeah. And again, I'll take this deal. We had been scared that we would lose not just the House, but also the Senate. Yeah. Because of especially what's been going on the past six to 12 months. So it has been very nice to see. Fetterman in Pennsylvania was a game changer, a very pleasant surprise. And yeah, Laura, you did mention we do still have a couple of outstanding races. Your state of Georgia heading to a runoff. Yep. I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. This history is repeating itself, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that's coming up soon for you. Yeah, that's going to be on December 6th is when that runoff will happen between uh, Warnock and Walker. Everyone has to go vote again. This is so frustrating. It shouldn't, I almost don't think it should be this way. Well, that's because, and this is a tangent, Georgia has this stupid fucking rule that a candidate has to break 50% in order to win outright for Senate races. So because nobody broke 50%, just like last time, we're going to have to go to a runoff between the top two candidates. Part of the problem here is there was a third party libertarian candidate running who took about 2% of the votes. So those were Republicans who couldn't stand to vote for Walker. And, you know, hopefully they either come to their senses or decide to stay home yeah. on December 6th. Well, yeah. It's just so frustrating. You got to get everybody out at the polls I again. Know. It's such a hassle. Yeah. We all are in... um Important states, Pam's in California, Laura we know is in Georgia, I'm in Nevada. We're going to do a state-by-state breakdown, some of the more interesting states, and a very interesting house seat, which we'll get to a little bit later. We'll start with Nevada. This one is still very much up in the air. Nevada takes forever to count their votes, historically, and this race is clearly no different. We are recording Wednesday, November 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. The Senate race and the governor race are still not called. It looks, unfortunately, like the current governor here, Sisolaki, is a dem. It looks like he's going to lose his race to Republican Joe Lombardo, who's a former cop and a former, the former Las Vegas sheriff. So I'm not thrilled about a former cop becoming governor. He's a lot looser on gun restrictions, as you can imagine. I was reading through his campaign website earlier today. So that's a bummer. The Senate race, that one is currently a tighter race. We have incumbent Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto against Republican Adam Laxalt. Currently, with about 77% of the vote, Adam Laxalt is in a very narrow lead. A lot of the ballots still to be counted are mail-in ballots, many of them from Clark County, which is where Vegas is, which is bluer than the rest of the state. It looks like this is still going to be a very close race. She may lose the seat, so we will lose this one in the Senate. At least we did pick up Fetterman. But if we win Georgia and we win Arizona, which is also looking good for Dems, 
then it might not be as big of a deal for everybody else. For those of us who live Mm -hmm. here, it's a bummer (laughs) to go fully Republican here. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. Oh, and I heard on the news today, it might take till November 18th for all the votes to be counted here in Nevada. Oh, my God. So we might not get an answer here. Got a long time to wait. Yeah, it sucks. I'm stressed and pressed. And then um, we had a couple of interesting ballot measures. One of them was ballot measure three. And that allows for open primaries, meaning anybody can vote for anybody in a primary, and ranked choice voting. Now, Pam, Laura, and I were in a very professional planning meeting for this episode last Friday. (laughs) And I brought this up, and Laura said, oh, my God, my freedom boner is rising. I was like, Laura, I'm reporting you to HR. That 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 is wrong. This is a professional meeting. Aren't you HR? Why do you love ranked choice voting, Laura? I love it because it allows people to designate their preferred candidates in order of choice um, so that, you know, you can like, let's take the very contentious Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton situation from a few years ago. If, say, in the primary, you wanted to, you know, make your vote, make your stand for Bernie, but you recognize that Hillary was probably going to be the candidate, you could vote for Bernie first, vote for Hillary second. And as, you know, candidates drop off as they're not getting enough votes, it drops to the next ranking until you find somebody who makes up a majority of the popular vote. The other thing that's great about this, too, is it encourages candidates not to do so much infighting. Um, So if you're thinking about a primary of people amongst the same party, it's more in their interest to get somebody from their party um, up on the stand than it is for them themselves to win. There have been some examples of this, I think, in Vermont, if I recall correctly, where they have this um, of Democrats actually being a lot more supportive of each other and not trying to um, smear one another and go on these character attacks in order to win their primaries. So I think it's just more more reflective of of giving people choice and not making fe- people feel um you know, cornered in to making one choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's all well said. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, this format is quickly rising in popularity. Two states have already adopted it for presidential elections. It looks like Nevada is about to get it like we're talking about. And other states are considering it as well. There's numerous uh, cities that have ranked ranked choice voting too. So it's a hot new thing. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. Because there are a lot of benefits. And I'm excited about the open primaries for y'all, too. Um, Did you say how this ballot measure shook out or has it not been decided yet? So the results are with 77% reporting, 51.5% say yes versus 48.5% say no. So it's narrow, but yes does have the lead right now. And hopefully that will remain. We touched on Georgia. What else do we want to add about Georgia right now? I think it's whole news at this point, um, because we've been talking so much about these midterms for the last 24 hours. But Brian Kemp um, obviously uh, held on to his seat as governor here in Georgia. Um, and actually, Stacey Abrams lost by a significantly larger margin this time than she did last time. 
So that hurt. Um, what also hurt is seeing that, you know, Warnock uh, was trending much better than Abrams was, which suggests that a significant number of voters either vote, voted split ticket, like voted for Kemp and Warnock instead of Kemp and Walker. Yeah. Um, or or they just voted for Warnock and maybe didn't vote for anything else on the ballot. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack there as to why that might be. Um, but I think in thinking about what what set Kemp up for success here, much as I hate to say it, one, he's the incumbent. It's a lot harder to unseat an incumbent. In 2018, it was an open seat, so there was no incumbent. And also, Georgia's economy has fared pretty well during the pandemic because Kemp kept it open. Now, I will say a lot of people had to die for that, Mm. which I guess kind of comes down to, are you voting based on (laughs) the health and welfare of the people of your state or the state's economy? And if those are, if that's, yeah, if that's what you're choosing between, uh, you know, if you're choosing the economy, you're going to go with Kemp. We already know that about Warnock and Walker. Very interesting, though, because Walker, he he was one of these Trump endorsed candidates. And I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, but he was actually trending, was like the opposite of Warnock and Abrams. Walker was trending multiple points behind Kemp. So people who were voting for Kemp did not tend to vote for Walker. And then another thing that I just thought was interesting, in 2020, we heard a lot about a red mirage. And this year in Georgia, we had a blue mirage because early voting turnout was so high that initially when the reporting started coming in, it was looking really good for Dems. I think if you're familiar with the mirage idea. It's that when early votes are counted first, um, you know, Democrats tend to turn out more heavily for early voting. So that'll look more positive for them. If early votes are counted last, it's going to look better for Republicans when they start counting day of votes first. So it was just interesting to see in Georgia that we had the opposite situation that we had a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, Stacey Abrams still 45.8% of the vote. That was I feel like good. that was pretty close. I mean, it's, I know it, the to gap 53. is larger. 4. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. For, for Georgia, I think that if you're not yeah. following politics, a lot of people just assume they're much more conservative in the, in that sense. You would assume she wouldn't have, you know, been right on Kemp's heels. And I think that that really is a testament to her power in terms of all of the grassroots campaigning she's done. I know she's really been out there. And it's great to see that, you know, people turned out for her, even though she didn't pull out a win. So. Yeah, the the heartbreaker about Stacey Abrams is she is such an effective organizer. She has gotten so many Democrats elected, just not herself. And that hurts because she deserves it. And I think that she would be an amazing governor. Um, But the numbers were not here for it, especially I think when independence came out, I think it's probably pretty likely that we had a good percentage of independents who voted split ticket Kemp Warnock. But yeah, that it hurt. It hurt to see. Sadly, I also wasn't surprised. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's it kind of reminds me of the Hillary situation. It's like, here's somebody who's incredibly qualified to become president. And yet there's still people in this country who do not want to vote for Hillary because of all the perceived baggage that's there. There's also the hard truth that there are probably a lot of men out there who don't want to vote for a woman in power. And when it's Stacey versus Brian, they're going to go with the incumbent who, like you said, has kept the state together economically pretty well over the past couple of years. Pam, how's uh, things in California? Well, they're blue as usual. Uh, <laughs> but this is, I mean, like, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You never know because we've had Republican governors in the past. Notably, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a Republican governor, so it's not out of the ordinary. But Gavin Newsom was able to win his reelection. And uh, Alex Padilla also was elected. This is his first full term. So Newsom appointed Padilla when Kamala Harris moved up to vice president. Uh, so this was a big deal for him because, you know, being elected versus appointed. And um, that's pretty much where the bigger races lie in my state. We did have some interesting ballot measures as well. We had Prop 1, which passed um, with 63.5% yes votes. This was to amend the California Constitution to add the right to choose to have an abortion and to use contraceptives. So definitely coming on the heels of Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Supreme Court. This really kind of rallied a lot of people behind Prop 1 to make sure it got passed. There was some interesting campaigning being done with people opposing, saying that it wasn't necessary because California already has right to abortion. But as we've seen with what happened at the Supreme Court, nothing is safe unless it is explicitly stated in the Constitution. So I think that definitely turned out a lot of voters for sure. And then the other interesting proposition that I thought would interest people that listen to our show is Prop 31, which did pass as I thought it would with 62.5% yes votes. This actually upholds a state law banning the sale of flavored tobacco products. Um, and they ran on a campaign of trying to make sure that um, flavored vapes and stuff stay out of the hands of high school and middle school kids as they gain popularity. Yeah, they've really gained popularity. I mean, it's been a really big problem. That's an interesting one. Pam, I remember us talking about this and I was like, yeah. I don't know how I would vote on this. I need some time to think about it. I know. <laughs> I like my flavored tobacco products. I thought about it, too, for a really long time. I think this is the one that I I went back and forth on for a variety of reasons. And I think ultimately... Even though I knew it was going to pass, I did end up voting no, not because I don't think that vaping is an issue with kids under 18, but mostly because we've seen with marijuana, for example, that it banning doesn't work. And so I don't know if this is definitely going to solve the problem, especially because it's not illegal for adults to purchase these products. It's just that they have to purchase them online now. And so oh, if yeah. adults are going to be purchasing, then there's no way that these are not going to get sold into the table to anybody who wants them. So, yeah. Right. Or you, you go to Vegas for the weekend, you stock up and you come Right. Back. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It does seem I remember mentioning to you, Pam, I wonder if it would be more effective if 
there was a proposition aimed at influencing how flavored tobacco could be marketed. It feels like that's more of an in to curb the amount of uh, miners using something like this. But it is tough because it's not like flavored tobacco just came on the scene five years ago. Flavored tobacco has been around since God knows when. I mean, Swisher sweets are like older than we are, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like the original flavored tobacco, right? So I, I totally agree. I just think that, you know, vapes are really trendy. They don't really, they're a little bit more inconspicuous. So really what they should be doing is probably targeting that. And and then like the advertising comes later. I know there's a lot more restrictions now on advertising of tobacco products in general than there were when we were growing up. Like notably, a lot of these companies had uh, really friendly cartoon mascots like Joe Camel mm-hmm. was huge in the 90s. And the reason that we don't see those mascots anymore is because they were deemed too alluring to children. So it's going to be interesting to see if that it ever gets targeted along those lines, like you were saying, but I don't personally think that banning is really going to do very much. Rakuten helps me be a smarter shopper and save money on just about everything. They have all things you need to buy, whether it's home essentials or a self-care treat just for you. With Rakuten, I get cash back on clothes, groceries, travel, and much, much more. Even better, you can stack cash back on top of other deals, like store sales and credit card points. In case you're wondering, the stores on Rakuten are the ones you know and love, and lots of cool ones waiting to be discovered. When it comes to savvy shopping and saving money, Rakuten is a no-brainer. It's free and easy to join. Just go to Rakuten.com now or download the Rakuten app today. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Okay, so let's talk about some of the other states. Pennsylvania. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah, this one was a flip for Dems. Fetterman versus Oz. Dr. Oz, television star. The beauty of this in the last week was that Oprah came in with an endorsement for Fetterman. And it was so amazing because Oprah made Oz and now she's helping tear him down in his Senate race. I know it's the least she can do. That's true. She brought that snake oil salesman into all of our lives. This is the least she can do for democracy. I mean, she also cursed us with Dr. Phil. So, you know, she's two for two. Shapiro won the governor race there, which is really good because the Republican running for governor in Pennsylvania was far right. He was a really scary dude, right, Laura? Yeah. Wasn't he also a Trump-endorsed candidate, as was Dr. Oz? Yeah. And apparently Trump is now blaming Melania and someone else for encouraging him to endorse Oz. Yeah, I think Hannity, too. He's he's blaming everybody, of course. It's never yeah. his fault. It's everybody, even his wife's fault now. Even Melania is not safe. Well, remember before this, he was like, if... If we do well, then it's all thanks to me. But if we don't, then I shouldn't be blamed for it. Right. <laughs> he just said that fault. in an interview, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the reporting this morning was that he was very angry this morning, which of course just... Boo-hoo. That was my cup of coffee this morning. Well, because it ruins his momentum for whatever announcement is coming next week. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that today too. Sigh. Ugh, I know. But anyway, I, I feel like he would have announced today if things had gone better last night. That might have been his master plan. That race was close, though. It was a nail biter. I was watching the minute by minute coverage, and it's not healthy. You really shouldn't watch this coverage, but you just can't resist. I love the horse race. I love John King at the wall, tapping in and out, county by county. I know uh, Twitter loves Kornacki over at MSNBC. He's too high energy for me. I, I like I'm getting stressed watching him. John but that's King, relatable for Twitter because Twitter's anxious, you know. <laughs> yeah, true. Like <laughs> they, they they can't stop. I think Kornacki like may have pulled almost an old all nighter at that board. Like I this mean, guy is he in the nicest way possible, he definitely looks like he did. Like he had the <laughs> sleeves rolled up. He had like the paper shuffling. I I appreciate that kind of energy, honestly. Uh, yeah, I respect him. He's very talented, but just I prefer John King. He's a little chiller. It's much yeah. more mellow. Yeah. If you want comfort, you go to MSNBC. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to pacify you. Don't worry. It's all going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. um, I was watching ABC and guess who they had? They had Nate Silver, which oh. was just such a fucking joke. They kept referring to 538's benchmarks as this new tool that we can use <laughs> to determine if people are overperforming or underperforming. And, you know, Nate Silver, you know, he was largely wrong <laughs> again, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. But it was just funny because I think about John King, I think about Kornacki, and they have very different styles, but they both have panache about them, you know? Nate yeah. Silver... Not so much. <laughs> and let's not get it twisted. John King is the OG magic wall dude. Okay. Kornacki mm -hmm. came along years later trying to be John King and he's carved out a niche for himself. I, that's fine. But John King is the OG and that's why I am loyal to him. And that will, my loyalty will never waver. Uh, so anyway, that was Pennsylvania, Texas. Yeah. This was another disappointment. Again, I, I wasn't surprised by it, but Greg Abbott defeated Beto O'Rourke pretty easily, which is a big disappointment for Southern progressives between that and the gubernatorial race here in Georgia. Um, but a couple of things to note here, there were three competitive districts. Um, it was three, it's the three southernmost districts at the tip at the bottom of Texas. Um, we were able to hold on to the 28th and the 34th. Um, but sadly, the Texas 15th district did flip, was won by Republican De La Cruz. But I will note here, this was an open seat where there was no incumbent. And I think that's the theme that we're going to be seeing as more of these House races come through. It's just a lot harder to unseat an incumbent. Right. Oh, boy. Beto's another person like he would do well in another state. It's just Texas. Yeah. It's, it's too red. I think maybe he should have waited to go for a rematch with Ted Cruz. I oh. was hoping he would do that, honestly. Yeah. And he might still, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of it's jumping around a lot to go from like Senate to governor to back to Senate. I don't know mm -hmm. what he'll do. I don't know what he or Stacey are going to do because you start getting into this risky territory of having lost so many high profile races. And while I don't personally think that should be a barrier to entry, um, it's it gets tougher to convince voters each time. Yeah. 
and they they get tired and they want somebody new yeah. at some point. So maybe they just need to go back to the drawing board, work on some other area of politics and then come back in time because they're both still young. So yeah, and um, amazing organizers. Yeah, yeah, they get people fired up. Yeah. What would be the odds? Do you think that either of them might be appointed to cabinet positions, you know, going forward after Biden leaves office or his term ends? I think it would be hard because thinking about legitimate cabinet appointments. You know, if we're doing Trump logic here, anybody can be appointed to the cabinet. Um, But I think typically presidents look for people who are a little more established politically. And both of them have served at the state level. But I think it would be more attractive if they were coming into that with some gubernatorial experience. So I don't know. I honestly, I don't think she's going to want to do this, but I think that Stacy would be an amazing DNC chair. And I think that she would do great things there. And I think they could use her. But she just strikes me as someone who has aspirations for public office. So I don't think that's where she's going to go. But we'll see. We'll see. It's kind of the Wild West now in politics. It feels like there are no rules anymore. (laughs) Let's talk about Florida. Fun fact, Laura is in Florida right now. Boo. She just watched Florida get even redder last night, and she was like, I'm heading to Florida. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately, this was already in the works. I'm worried about you. You're going to catch some of that Republican down there. We kind of figured. I will say as we crossed the state line today, I blew a raspberry at the sign that was like Governor Ron DeSantis. (laughs) I was just like, <laughs> you should have given him it the finger and taken a picture like you did with uh, Paul Ryan's uh, office. Yeah, I was driving, though, so that oh. it would have been risky. I'm not it's not like my youthful days where I took risky photos while I was driving. I see. OK, well, so Ron DeSantis won this one handily. Sixty percent of the vote against mm-hmm. Democrat Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist, though. OK, a couple things. Charlie Crist, he was already governor in Florida. He wasn't exactly a sexy new candidate. Also, Ron DeSantis, he just successfully led the state through a very difficult hurricane recovery. I'm sure that was very helpful with uh, getting Mm -hmm. some people to vote for him. And let's face it, he's just a good politician. He is. I don't agree with him, but he's a great politician for Republicans. Oh, yeah. So I can see why he won so easily in that state. But one of the other takeaways is that Florida did turn more red in these results. Even Miami-Dade, which typically goes Democrat, went to DeSantis by 11 points. Yeah, well, I think that has something to do with the fact that DeSantis had the all of the district lines redrawn in this state. Um, So it's been gerrymandered all to hell um, that in a way that really does make it a Republican stronghold even more than it was before. Um, I will say, though, for some good news out of Florida, some news that we can celebrate and I think Chloe will celebrate Um, The Florida 10th Congressional District has elected the first ever Gen Zer to Congress. Wow. uh, Maxwell Frost. He's 25. Oh, my God. Which is so exciting. He really built his name um, through being a top 
um, advocate and contributor towards the March for Our Lives um, coalition, which of course started after the horrible shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School back in what, 2017. Um, And he's also just run a, a platform that really focuses on the kinds of issues that young people care about, like student debt, like climate change, gun safety, voting rights, and things like that. So this is really exciting. I'm I'm really excited to see what he does. Yeah, good for him. That's really impressive. Can you imagine being that impressive at 25? Couldn't be no, me. <laughs> no, or like that organized and motivated mm-hmm. to actually run for a seat. No, I, no. <laughs> I couldn't do that. So that's Florida. Trump is already talking shit on DeSantis and it's honestly delicious he's like I know more about DeSantis than even his wife like he's so afraid of DeSantis he knows DeSantis is going to be a very real competitor for him in 2024 yeah those two are going to rip each other apart and I'm here for it oh I can't wait and honestly like it it makes sense because as you've said before on the show, Laura, Republican, the Republican Party is very fickle and DeSantis has at least proved that he can turn the needle a little bit further to the right over in Florida. So that's definitely going to be alluring going into, you know, re-election season. Not good news out of Ohio. The Trump backed J.D. Vance Boo. beat Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, my understanding is he ro- he ran a very, very good campaign. Like, he did nothing wrong. He's another great politician. J.D. Vance is one of the f- the few Trump endorsements that did well last night. So, I mean, plus one to him. Isn't this guy, isn't this who we have to thank for Hillbilly Elegy? Yeah, he yes. wrote that. So many celebrities running for office these days. Hillbilly Elegy going to the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> We have some other odds and ends here. Here's a real shocker. Lauren Boeber. <laughs> we we never talk about her on the show, but she's as far right. Uh, she has Colorado three House of Representatives far right. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's partner in crime in the House. Just an awful person. She had this restaurant Shooter's Grill, which, by the way, shut down a year or two ago. She has been an ex- in an extremely tight race to hold on to the seat. And nobody expected this. I have been looking at this race Same. the past 24 hours. Every time I look, it gets closer and closer. She's up against this guy, Adam Frisch. It's currently a difference of 73 votes. 73 votes. 155.579 to 155.506. With 97% reporting. I've read that the votes still to be counted should be favorable to Adam Frisch. But I've seen these two numbers get closer and closer over the past 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Regardless, this isn't good news for Bobert. Because nobody expected her to potentially lose the seat. No, I wasn't even paying attention to this one because I assumed she would be a shoe in She's an incumbent. She's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought they would reelect her. Incumbent crazy shoe in. Yeah. Guaranteed shoe in <laughs> here in America in 2022. But I did actually a little bit of reading about why this might be and it sounds like Bobert has been everywhere campaigning but her district. So um... she's been nowhere to be found in the Colorado 3rd. <laughs> 
And there's also been some negative news circulating about her in recent weeks. Uh, A neighbor of hers accused her of shooting their dog. So I don't know how much that story plays into people's decision making, but certainly it's pretty common knowledge if you're in the House of Representatives. If you don't show up in your district, those are the constituents you have to answer to. It's a much smaller pool of people than if you're a senator or a president. And if you're not showing up there, people aren't going to vote for you. So she may still, she may still eke it out, but it's going to be much closer than it should be. And I've taken great delight in this. She's been behind for 24 hours at this point. Which was also great because one of her tweets, like before the results started coming in. Oh, here it is right here. This is her last tweet. (laughs) They called you cockroaches. They called you cult members. They called you extremists. They called you terrorists. Today, we call them losers. Hashtag red wave. More like a red fart. (laughs) (laughs) a bloody fart too far Andrew too far (laughs) you said it first Laura basically yeah well you you turned it into a bloody fart which like I don't Pam's like oh my god will you two grow up please (laughs) let's talk about man a state to my southeast Arizona beautiful state I love Arizona so much. We're going there over Thanksgiving. I almost canceled the plans, though, this morning (laughs) because there's a governor race there. Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, versus Carrie Lake, the Republican. Carrie Lake is a far-right nut job. She is is a very, very strong election denier. And you do not obviously want one of these election deniers running the state. And she also treats the media terribly. I was seeing this, saw this interview with her yesterday. It was just making me sick to my stomach. So there was a pretty sizable margin between Hobbs and Lake. Now, though, with 67, and again, freaking Arizona and Nevada. I don't know what, the the, the results come in so slow in these two states. 67% of the votes in, it's 50.10%, 50.1% to 49.9%. Carrie Lake being the one trailing by that slim margin. <sighs> I don't want Carrie Lake to win governor. That's a terrifying thought to me. She is a fucking nutcase. On the other hand, Mark Kelly running for U.S. Senate. He's the incumbent there in Arizona. He has a better lead than the Republican challenger, Blake Masters. It's 51.2% to 46.7%. So people like Carrie Lake more than they like Mark Kelly, similar to what we were seeing in Atlanta or Georgia. Yeah. The Wisconsin Senate race was very close. That was a pleasant surprise. People weren't expecting it mm-hmm. to be that close. It did go to the Republican, unfortunately, the incumbent. But what's the Wisconsin challenger's name? Mandela Barnes. Yeah, that's right. He, I was reading today, is tr- is being positioned as one of the rising stars in the Democratic Party. So maybe maybe we'll be hearing more about him. But yeah, the race only separated by a percentage point. And honestly, again, it's another example of Republicans underperforming because it shouldn't have been that close. To the east in Michigan, that state is now fully controlled by Democrats. Thank God. And also, I was just so I didn't really doubt Whitmer 
I know some people did. I didn't see it. And I just have to say, thank God, because Tudor Dixon is just another fucking nutcase. And again, another Trump endorsed candidate. So, and I mean, this is the state where just a year or two ago, there was that plot to kidnap the governor Mm -hmm. by extremists. So it's nice to see Michigan now fully blue. That state hasn't completely gone nuts. So those were some odds and ends. Any other broad takeaways? Yeah, I mean, it it really seems like Trumpism is at least in part beginning to be rejected at the ballot box. Um, Trump backed 39 candidates in competitive races across the country. Um, And these are not just House and Senate races, but also like governor's races and secretary of state races. Um, But so far, only 12 of them have won, 11 have lost and 16 are undecided. So not a great look for the Donalds. And there's already a lot of chatter amongst Republicans that uh, he is the reason they fared so poorly last night. So no wonder he was so angry on Wednesday morning. Mm -hmm. The midterms used to not feel like they were as big of a deal. Maybe because democracy feels like it's falling apart in this country these days. But I don't remember so much attention being on the midterms, even a couple election cycles ago. I think part of that is due to the fact that there is more emphasis on how important they are and Mm -hmm. how the midterms also directly. It's more likely that they're going to directly affect where you live than some of these larger elections will because you're voting by district for a lot of stuff too. And um, sometimes by county as well for measures. And I think that when you frame it that way for people, then they start to realize, well, all of this can affect me personally, much more than something on the national level, especially if you live in like, I think that like, um, living in a in a fairly liberal state, like I do, California is usually goes blue, you don't often have to worry. We have the luxury of not having to worry about things like Roe versus Wade being overturned because you kind mm-hmm. of know that like California is going to keep abortion rights, right? Um, so I think that for people that just kind of have that me attitude, it's much more important to get them invested in something like a midterm election. And I think that that's what we've been seeing uh, since like 2016 or so, more emphasis on midterms. Yeah. And I I have to give credit to the social media networks, honestly. Obviously, they've caused a lot of trouble over the years, but there is this concerted effort to raise awareness around making sure you are registered to vote and then reminding people to actually vote, like the top of Reddit, the top of Facebook, the top of Instagram. I don't know if there's anything on Twitter. I don't don't think there was. There was. I saw. Oh, there was? Okay. Just these reminders to get people to vote. Think of how many hundreds of millions of people are seeing those messages every day. I have to think that makes an impact. Then, of course, I'm in a we're all in our own bubbles, but I was seeing a lot of people reminding people in their social media feeds to get out and vote. It's really nice to see this effort from everybody to encourage one another to make sure they're registered to vote and go out to vote because the points that are being raised, there is a a lot on the line. Yeah. And I think, too, it's interesting to look at it against the lens of historical precedent, because when you look at midterm elections in previous cycles, the party in power tends to just get completely shellacked. Like it's it's a complete 
disaster show for them. I mean, even looking at Obama um, in, what was it, 2010, he lost something like 60 seats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that year. And it's not it's not looking like we're going to get anywhere near that this year. So it is kind of unprecedented. And I think it probably is a combination of get out the vote efforts, but also how dire of a circumstance that we're in right now. You know, I think we can argue that democracy was saved last night, but it's still in a very fragile place. Absolutely. And maybe that's that message is resonating with people. And they're like, oh, shit, I really do need to get out to vote. We also have to give a shout out to the youngins, the Gen Zers. Yeah. Just a, a couple of stats. I don't think there's final numbers in, but a couple of stats that I saw in Wisconsin, the youth vote was at 360% compared to 2018. The black vote at 123% compared to 2018. The woman vote at 137% compared to 2018. So increases all around, but especially amongst the youth, 360%. And that was just of last night. Yeah. I will not be surprised if it turns out that Gen Z makes up the largest age demographic of votes for Democrats in this election. Gen Z. Yeah. Well, here's another stat to, to back you up, I think. According to the Edison Research National Election Pool exit poll, the national youth vote choice for the U.S. House was 63% for Dems, 35% for Republicans. Voters 18 to 29 are the only age group in which more than half of votes supported Democrats. There it is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's it exactly. Gen Z saved us. Thank you, Gen Z. Thank you. Thank you, Gen Z. And and like, where was this millennial turnout? Was that happening 10 years ago? I'm not so sure. Five, 10 years ago? No. Well, Gen Z. No. And I mean, honestly, like we've kind of fucked up. Like, look at millennial turnout in 2016. And just remember how many of us voted for Trump. So we we did not match what Gen Z is doing right now. At the same time, I understand why they're so motivated because of what they've had to grow up with. Maybe thank TikTok to some extent. I don't know. They're all talking and they're all spreading a message. I think also when mm-hmm. you when you look at what uh, what causes Gen Z is most focused on, it's the economy, the environment and abortion rights those are and those are all things that were pivotal to a lot of the stuff that was being voted on in the midterms so i think that they definitely understand that finally there's i guess a generation that does we millennials were not able to pull out that kind of turnout so i think it's safe to say that this is probably the most involved generation we've seen so a couple interesting results Laura, I know you had your eye on this one. Rebecca shouted this out, one of our listeners. Maryland has legalized marijuana. Marijuana. Yes, marijuana. Marijuana. Mary Lane. Yeah, super exciting about Maryland, um, especially since that's a state that I visit pretty frequently. So excited (laughs) about that. Currently, the status is um, that they have medical marijuana um, so if you have friends who have a medical marijuana card, you can, you know, do pretty well up there. Also, DC has it decriminalized, so you can skip across town to get that. But it'll be really nice for them to just legalize recreational. I think that there are still some details about how it will be implemented that are outstanding, but 
it's a step in the right direction. Okay. Looks like that'll start in July 2023. So book your hotel room now, Laura, for the midnight release party. What makes you think I haven't already? Uh, I mean, the results just came (laughs) in. My God. Speaking of drugs, Caitlin pointed out Colorado Proposition 122, which decriminalizes and regulates access to certain psychedelics and fungi. And... Caitlin said, if you go, wait, didn't Colorado already do this? Back in 2019, the city of Denver made possession and use of psychedelic mushrooms a low priority for law enforcement. But this goes further and is statewide. And I checked in on this one a little earlier, and it looks like it will be passing. So you'll be able to go trip. Sounds good. I'm going to have to book a hotel out there, too. (laughs) Laura's going to be quite busy in 2023 sampling all the drugs around the state. It's going to be a big year for me, (laughs) y'all. I will say I have tried psychedelics. It's been over a decade at this point. I liked it. I would not recommend being alone. I'm not sure I would do it again because I tried it. I got it. I hated waking up the next morning and I was still tripping. It doesn't disappear as quick when as marijuana does. Uh but yeah, it's it's that's cool to see. It's also interesting because Colorado was the first state to legalize marijuana in the country, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're on the forefront of the drugs, man. <laughs> Ashley also said, speaking of marijuana, there's weed legalization on the ballot in Missouri, but there are some weird provisions that make even weed positive people vote no. Something about 95% of the Missouri weed industry to be controlled by a small number of people. This did pass, though. I was looking at the results. And then uh, Kristen here talking about Massachusetts is talking about a millionaire tax that was on the ballot, which would up the tax a millionaire pays for taxes going to things like schools and infrastructure. Good. Um, Do we have a beat on that yet? Do we know if that passed? We had a millionaire tax, too, on the ballot in uh, California, but the funds would be reallocated to the environment and specifically low emission vehicles. So oh, okay. that ended up passing, which, again, was not surprising. But it would I think I would have preferred it to go to like arts and music in schools because there was another ballot measure on ours as well that would allocate more funds to arts programs and stuff. And there's a lot of funds going to the environment anyway in California, which is not to say that we don't need more, but <laughs> can even it out, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yes, it looks like it is passing in Massachusetts, 52% to 48% with 95% of the votes in. Thank you to everybody who submitted some suggestions for things to keep an eye on in our Facebook group. Just briefly to wrap up the show, before we wrap up the show, Trump, like we mentioned, has been threatening to announce his 2024 campaign on November 15th from tacky-ass Mar-a-Lago. Like we said a couple times now, he's been pretty angry this morning. I actually was reading some reporting saying some advisors are now telling him to wait until after the Georgia runoff, Laura, to see what those results will look like. But this guy seems unstoppable. He wants to run again. He hates not being in the spotlight. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to stop him. Yeah. And I hope he I hope he holds off because even people getting a whiff of an idea that he might be running, I think, could help Herschel Walker. So I don't want that. Um, Biden also said today he did a press conference, kind of a victory lap. 
There's been a lot of talk today about how Biden, you know, he often gets counted out, but he did pull off 2020. He did pull off the midterms. So we got to keep that in mind. Uh, He said he's going to meet with his family after the holidays to discuss if he's going to run again. I would prefer that he runs again. It just seems too chaotic for us to put somebody else on a 2024 ticket when we we don't have anybody really jumping out at us. Yeah, we really don't. I mean, Newsom is, I think, the one that people keep coming back to. Yeah, I mean, obviously, very familiar with Newsom. He was mayor out in San Francisco before he started moving up in the ranks. So I've kind of seen what he's been able to do on the local level and also on the state level. I think that he obviously turned some heads in terms of, you know, how he was unafraid to go toe-to-toe with Trump when he was in office. And he also did pretty well during the pandemic, making sure that California stayed on the forefront of safety for that. So he's a very attractive contender for sure. Um, but he did say during the uh, one of the debates for the midterms that he was committed to serving out the full term if he gets reelected. So I don't know hard to tell if he would hold himself to that, but it seems like that's his plan for now. I think it would be very smart. I would prefer to see him run after he finishes off his term in California. So this is the last time we can reelect him. Mm -hmm. And I feel like depending on how he does, that would only make him perhaps a stronger candidate. The only flaw with Newsom I see is that he's very progressive, which is not bad. But I I just kind of feel like that does not take into account a lot of middle America in the South, which doesn't usually like to go for a super progressive candidate because, you know, Biden is a Democrat, but he's like a very conservative Democrat. So I just don't know if like the United States on the whole is ready for a Gavin Newsom. Wish we were. Justin in our Discord said, Mayor Pete, I mean, I just think it's too soon for him. He's He's been Secretary of Transportation. He's been doing a great job. He's been out and about around the country, like nonstop, it seems like. I follow him on Twitter. So, And isn't he moving to Michigan? Yeah. And you were speculating to run for... For governor. I could see him going out there to do that as a stepping stone to running for president. Yeah. Yeah, I think he needs to build up mm-hmm. a little more of a resume first. So anyway, we can revisit that again if Biden actually decides to not run again. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, a mix of results. Pretty good news, right? Are you guys happy? How yeah. are you feeling? Yeah. Better. I mean, I feel like we set the bar so low so we wouldn't get disappointed. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I think Laura did a good job of making sure her expectations stayed low because That's historically right. it doesn't turn <laughs> out this way. For the midterm. You can always count on Laura to bum us out. Thank you, Laura. No, 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 I know. no, no. In the best way possible, though. In, in I think this that case. We should, <laughs> we should keep the bar low. And then, you know, when it exceeds the expectations, it's great. Listen, if it made y'all even the slightest bit more motivated to get out and vote, I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Reverse psychology on the podcast. <laughs> Again, this is a, it's a big change in you know, what we would typically expect to see, according to historical precedent. I mean, you can look at midterm elections, and how the leading party does in those. And it's usually not very well. So it was normal to expect that here. But again, the polling was off. 
The media narratives were off. There was not a red wave. Again, are the Republicans going to make gains in the House? Yes, they are. But it does not seem like at this point that they're going to be the kind of gains that give them an overwhelming majority. So they're going to have a hard time deciding who's going to be House Speaker. (laughs) They're going to have a hard time getting a coalition of people in the House. It's just going to be harder for them to get things done. Yeah. And not not to mention just the fact that, like you're saying, historically, midterms would not go well, you would think. But yeah. we've had some huge issues in this country. Like I was saying at the top of the show, like the recession was or pending recession. Inflation has been a huge issue. Very, very real issue. Yeah. To do as well as we did, despite the inflation, the higher gas prices, interest rates going up. It's pretty amazing because people looked at the Republicans and said, well, yeah, things suck, but I don't want that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes me sleep easy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's almost like they they went a bridge too far. Maybe this will be a learning lesson for Republicans. (laughs) Am I kidding? Well, I think it's I think it's a lesson for them on abortion. Oh, God, I hope so. That's a good point. Because they're they're going to have to choose. Is this still your mantelpiece? issue um because if it is you will keep having underwhelming elections the people have shown that to your point in kentucky there was a ballot measure no right to abortion people voted no no to no right to abortion so mm-hmm. yes to abortion well yeah. because see the the downfall there is that the only thing that conservatives and also republicans hate more than liberals is is people trying to tell them what to do yeah Yeah, their fucking body right exactly and so even if they're anti-abortion they're more anti somebody telling you what you can and can't do Mm. Mm -hmm. and the vast majority of this country is pro-choice yeah you can gerrymander the shit out of your districts you can play whatever dirty tricks you want but it's not going to change what the electorate believes in and if you put ballot measures out there trying to ban abortion they're gonna continue failing not saying that they'll always fail but in large part they do look at kansas yeah it's another one we had a whole section by the way listeners yeah good news (laughs) because we did just in case just in case we were we were bracing for all bad news we had a good news section but and kansas voters resoundingly protecting their access to abortion i mean that happened back in august but we just had to remind you of that in case things looked really bleak here today see we're not always all about bad news here it's we try to balance it out (laughs) we were prepared to pump everybody up in case last night went really bad yes yes (laughs) all right so coming up in after dark today we're gonna put politics aside and muggle suck will return this time with my and laura's aol instant messenger conversations oh my i still have like eight (laughs) months of these from 2005 2006 i recently rediscovered them i've been i'll explain more in after dark but laura and i will do a reading of some of our old aim conversations patreon.com slash millennial is where you can go to get that we also have mega millennial now available on apple podcasts for 5.99 a month you can get mega millennial which is ad free millennial with After Dark at the end, right within Apple Podcasts. Maybe you don't want to support us on Patreon for whatever reason. That's fine. There's a subscribe button there in Apple Podcasts now. 
No matter how you support us, whether it's through listening, supporting us on Apple Podcasts, reviewing the show, telling your friends about the show, supporting us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. And now it's time for recommendations. Laura, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'd like to recommend The Midnight Club on Netflix. It's a new Mike Flanagan show that actually came out um, in time for Halloween. So this is a couple of weeks late, but I think recommendations ended up getting pushed back because we made a vote recommendation. Um, but this is a really good show. It, it's typical Flanagan ghosts and, you know, other creepy shit. So if you're still in the mood for spooky season. Check it out. I wanted to recommend All There Is with Anderson Cooper. This is Anderson Cooper's new podcast. I would make sure that you're in the right headspace to listen to this show, though, because it basically is just him talking about grief with other celebrities. I particularly enjoyed the episode he did with Steve Colbert, and he's doing this all while he's working through cleaning out his mom's old apartment. She passed away a couple of years ago now, I think. But I just really appreciate the idea of the show because I don't think that we as a society talk very openly very often about grief. And like, as a result, it can feel like a very isolating um, thing to go through. So if you're in the right headspace, like I said, and you feel like you're in a position to receive what the show is about, I would recommend checking it out. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. Good job, Anderson. And I want to make a techie recommendation. I want to recommend Backblaze. There's a chance I recommended this a while ago, but I thought it was due for a re-recommendation. So I use a laptop as my main computing device. And you've got to have a backup of your computer. But I don't want to keep an external hard drive plugged into my laptop because I'm moving it around all the time. It would just be too much of a hassle. Backblaze.com. You can back up your computer no matter how big it is. Unlimited data. No data cap on Backblaze for $7 a month. There's a couple add-ons. You can back up your data for even longer. It'll, it'll hold your data for an even longer period of time. But I really love this. You set it to when you want it to automatically back up. So I have it backing up overnight. And then I, it's a peace of mind thing. I don't have to worry about an external hard drive plugging it in. I don't have to worry about that drive going bad. I don't have to worry about my house catching on fire. And then the drive is gone. It's just all up in the cloud. So backblaze.com, if you want to back up your computer, it's a really important thing that you should be doing. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com and follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks everybody for listening. Happy midterms and the goodish news. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.